Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. There's a tendency for us to think that climate is an American problem, that it's a rich world problem. It isn't. Climate change affects the third world more dramatically, more drastically, and with more human impact than it does in the first world. So I'm glad today to have two experts who are really without uh, doubt top of the field when it comes to discussing the impact of climate in the third world, but more important in doing something about it. They are Gina McCarthy. Welcome to the broadcast, Gina, who serves as President Biden's national advisor on climate change. And you were head of the Environmental Protection Agency in the Obama administration. Yes, I was. So you've been around here a while. (laughs) And but Craig Hogut, so you're now head of a, a very large international operation called Pegasus, uh, financial, and you're into businesses in the third world that help the environment. Help their economies, help the environment by helping their economies. And uh, let's begin with Gino. Um, What can be done immediately? How do we get business, Craig's world, involved in your world, the environment? Well, the reason why I'm here is because I believe that the private sector really needs to step up. And Craig, in terms of Pegasus, is really stepping up right now. We've had government funds. We understand the need for the United States to actually invest in uh, the global south because we, as a country, uh, was the highest level of emitters of greenhouse gas emissions, and we remain at that top spot. And it's time to change that. The only way we're going to do that is to recognize the impact that we've had in other countries and to start investing both government funds, but also very importantly right now is the funds with the private sector because climate change actions can be terrific for growing the economy. It's not about sacrifice. It's really about investment. Gina, you've just made a huge statement it is our pollution yeah. that affects the entire world, and China's pollution, and Europe's pollution, but we, the United States, mm-hmm. are probably still the largest emitter mm-hmm. of greenhouse gases and other pollutants. Craig, how do you privatize the drive to be green? How do you get corporations to make money saving the world? Well. And and it is saving these local populations, but also, apart from the moral need, it's important for us to have food security, to have diversified sources of supply chain. Um, So I think it's in our security and self-interest as well. But there are, if I look at a continent like Africa, Africa has abundant abilities to have renewable power, solar and wind. It has lots of coastline with resources. It has abundant land in many places, not water, but much water. It can grow so many things. And it has a young population, which is, happens to be very entrepreneurial. And with the advent of things like the internet um, and cellular, people think differently. I mean, they're, they're very eager to follow and use technology. So I think there are businesses today with local processing, things like cold storage to prevent food loss, um, mobile transportation, where with renewables you can invest and it can be very profitable. But it's really thinking differently, building local ecosystems. And I think it's great investment opportunities for us, great opportunities for U.S. companies to export. But also one of the things we're really trying to do is to get U.S. and multinational companies 
to be off takers. I think that's a key thing here. And at least a certain segment of American consumers and some of the folks who are watching the show will want to buy from people where they know they're doing the right thing climate-wise. And that's part of our message and, and efforts uh, too. I'm an African as people who watch the show know. I watched it for some time. So I'm keenly interested in Africa mm -hmm. as well. In Africa, women are very important. Most of the societies are matriarchal. And if you want to get things done, you have to really mobilize the women. Have you addressed that side of African uh, uh, well, mobilization when it comes to climate? The only thing I would say that clarifies this is I think women are actually the movers everywhere, not <laughs> just in Africa. Um, but I think there, there are a lot of African nations that recognize that that you have to start looking at your farming practices in a way that really is regenerative. In other words, we have to keep making sure that we're not just shipping industrialized farming over to some of these countries, but allowing them to make the choices to whether the women want to become the, the, the farmer and the breadwinner of the family so that they can support their own families and also advance the interests of, among their communities. So part of the trick, if you will, of, of looking at investments in these countries is to know what the countries themselves want. Now we know in many of these countries women don't have a shot at many of the job opportunities that are available. We know that women are lagging behind in India. But we also know that we have uh, worked with Craig and others on investments that really try to turn that around, to give women an opportunity to grow food, food that's regenerative, food that makes their families healthy, food that they can begin to exchange with other farmers and grow better health constituencies and, and operations and centers. And so it's a, it's a, it's a new world, if you will, in Africa and other countries that recognizing that women have the ability to, to uh, do farming, but also they, there are opportunities to actually build communities around that in a way that is lasting, in a way that maintains the, the sort of foundation, cultural foundations of those communities. Um, and it's a, it actually is something that People who invest in that go home and feel good about themselves. Well, for what I would they like did. Craig to tell us some examples of yep. international or American companies who are in you've invested in who are doing this work. So I would highlight two companies that we're in the middle of investing in, which are actually African companies with American. One case has an American distribution arm. And one is a company that's working with a grain called Fonio and other ancient, it's an African grain, West African grain. Um, we're working with a company in Mali dealing with 25, 30,000 women farmers to supplement their income. Fonio is drought resistant, does not need pesticide, does not need fertilizer, and just adds to income, supplemental income of, of farmers already. And it's more nutritious than crops like rice. We have terrible drought in Africa, unspeakable, unspeakable drought, drought, where crops do not grow, people have to move, uh, people have to abandon their historical homes because there's no rain, no water, no food. Uh, where have you seen the worst privations? I'd like to tell you, uh, unfortunately, everywhere. I mean, even countries, so 
on the borders of Ethiopia, where, where you're approaching the Sahara, um, the drought band of the Sahel has expanded dramatically. So that's why a company like this, Llewellyn, can be so interesting because they can be grown their range to add this to other countries, so exciting. And it, and it really is all about women. Um, um, one of the things about Africa is, and for that matter, much of Asia and South America is that it's energy deprived. Mm -hmm. Africa especially is energy mm -hmm. deprived. If you look at one of these uh, global photographs from space, of lights at night, you'll see Africa's dark and the rest of the world is remarkably ablaze, yeah. especially Western Europe and North America. Uh, presumably the future is electric. We're not going to suggest they put in a lot of coal-fired plants. Or, uh, what do you see for energy production? Well, there's, there's obviously there's two routes. Uh, one is you can go to more centralized, which takes a grid. And, and moves that forward. In some countries, that may be the answer, particularly in, in cities. But I see tremendous opportunity for renewable energy, wind and solar. I mean, we have to think differently and allow those countries to sort of chart their own path forward. Do and you I see think that in microgrids? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, we're seeing that grow right now, w without question. And, and the opportunities are endless. They pay back so quickly in terms of what capacity they give to those communities to grow economically. You know, all of this has to go hand in hand. This isn't just about protecting the planet or doing right by, by Africa, African countries. It's, it's really all about, it's about people. <laughs> it's just about allowing people to live well and with dignity. And they can choose their, their path to that future. But without question, you know, distributed energy, this energy opportunity is tremendous. And the, the less expensive solar, uh, solar gets and wind gets, the more opportunity arises for people to actually take advantage of that energy and grow different job opportunities and and uh, uh, different ways in which you can set up education systems. Healthcare. I mean, the healthcare, healthcare. is amazing. Uh, you, you need Wi-Fi, which requires energy, yep. and and you need an ability basically to provide power. And healthcare can you can have industry, you can have farming, processing, as we talked about other jobs. I, I think this really this is how we view it. It's all about. You can't look at one investment. Obviously, if there's no power, you can't build a processing plant. But the ability to have sort of pockets of distributed energy where you can build infrastructure around it. And there are examples in certain places. Gabon, there are industrial parks being built, self-sustainable, the maybe rooftop solar. So I, I think um, given the abundance of sun in Africa, as an example, it's a huge strength. To this point in time, we've talked about Africa as though it's monolithic. But yeah. all three of us know that Africa yeah. is anything but a monolith. Yeah. There are 56 or 58 separate countries. It varies a little bit uh, <laughs> as borders are shifted. Uh, but 56 countries, essentially, all of whom have, or all of which, have their own problems mm -hmm. and their own frustrations when you try to help them. Corruption, uh, local practices, uh, things like that. With American companies or international companies going into Africa, what is your advice about local knowledge, local practices before you spend the money? You need to work with local governments 
national governments, the local people. One of the keys are cooperatives, as we've talked about, and those are largely women-led. There were, and particularly on the civil society and local environment side, speaking again of women, women lead that field. And, and having those sorts of folks advise you, I think it's very important to protect you from having a problem, but also the opportunity to succeed. Uh, we all know that corruption is a problem and a terribly debilitating thing. It's a problem everywhere, everywhere. but it's especially brutal in Africa. How do we deal with that? Well, we can't do anything that involves corruption as an American, both morally, but as a, under the, the FC, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Um, we're very careful and we will lose some deals because of that. So we, we have careful monitoring and, and our hope is by involving the community, as you're saying, and involving the, the give, making this a win rather than exploitation or just extraction by building an economy that's good we will have local support and it will be in the political interests of um, people who might be susceptible to taking bribes to want this to happen. And there are plenty of wonderful leaders too, but it is clearly a problem. What do you believe, uh, Gina, uh, should be the first steps to environmental awareness in Africa before we fix it? You have to have some awareness yeah. and it's not always there. Well, the awareness is two things. One is uh, certainly there's, they're aware of the impacts that they're feeling and the changes that are happening. But then you've got to be aware of what the options are moving forward. Part of the a new initiative that's really taking hold in, in uh, the global south, in particular in the African countries, is they're beginning to stand up and say, you know, we need investment here, but it's going to be investment our way. We need to understand what net zero strategies look like for their own countries. And they're developing net zero plans together so that they can identify these as sort of a, an opportunity to collaborate across countries to build the entire economic stability of those regions. Because part of the challenge here is when you don't have food because there's a drought, and when you don't, ha it, it just adds to the instability. And part of this whole exercise is not just to build strong economies and to take care of climate, but it's also to every country's advantage to bring more security and stability to these countries. The, the poverty is extreme. We have to figure out how to address that. It's not, these are not easy answers, but one way to do it is to give the country themselves a voice. When you have a strong, good leader, use them to develop the plans. And then the private sector has a much more secure way to identify the investment opportunities and to run with them. So it's exciting what's happened. Africa is now getting a voice at every table. When you're looking for these constructive investments, Craig, uh, and, we, and we mean constructive, uh, what are the target areas? Tourism brings a lot of prosperity and quickly. Ecotourism is a win across the board. It's a win for the environment. It's a win for local communities. It's a win for biodiversity. And where is ecotourism well established? Botswana, I happen to know about. Largely uh, southern and eastern Africa. I think one of the areas, but it could be expanded. Um, we're looking a lot in West Africa. Um, I just came back from Gabon, I mentioned, which has the largest population of forest elephants, 40,000 lowland gorillas. Um, <laughs> Senegal, um, West, West Africa, and 
And again, with stability, the, the DRC, the Congo, has amazing potential. Real issues politically. And the Great are, Lakes of Africa. And the Great Lakes I of Africa. I would like to make a pitch, if I might, for <laughs> my favorite one, Malawi. Yep. Uh, a huge freshwater lake in the middle of a very dry part of the world. And, and these are paradises. I mean, we often talk about these as the, the last Edens. And so I think for, so I think ecotourism is an amazing opportunity to invest. I think transportation systems um, are an opportunity. Certainly we've talked a lot about food. Um, tell, tell me about transportation. Uh, what do you mean by that? Is that by air? Is that by road? Is that railroads? I'm thinking mainly public transportation where you have old fashioned diesel buses which are bad for people's health, um, expensive to run given the cost of diesel, and um, are, are unpleasant experiences to be behind them in traffic. And um, you have, in most places, they're not bus companies owned by the municipality. So the opportunities to do transportation with private groups, cooperatives may have 30 to 90 or 100 buses, I think, and convert them. I believe we made considerable progress in Asia of uh, getting rid of the tuk-tuks, which were uh, yeah. uh, uh, yes. two-stroke engines. in Africa now, beginning. Two-stroke engines. Yes. Um, and of course, you have a lot of motorcycle taxis in Africa, yes. if you're brave yep. and care for that kind of transportation. Um, and I was just sent a transaction today to deal with the, essentially that, in Western Africa as well. So I think, that, but those are opportunities. Those are businesses. And those people want to make more money and be, have more reliable transport. What about the fundamental uh, production? We've got a huge uh, attempt to uh, electrify the world, which means we're going to need a lot of lithium and a lot of copper, both of which are produced in Africa. Yeah. Cobalt, which is an African production. What about the mining sector? which generally is looked upon as, with some as looked upon as scarce because of the use of children, unsafe practices, lack of uh, any concept of safety or health uh, for the workers. Well, um, it's a re it is a real problem. And one of my dear friends has been very involved on the human rights side with that. Um, we, we do need, with the economy we are building here, we need lithium, and cobalt, which apart from China is, go, and it may come from Mexico, there are other places, but Africa and even Mali has recently discovered lithium as an example. Um, I believe Zimbabwe has too. Zimbabwe has too. So I think responsible, trying to impose responsible mining is important. Um, where we could invest um, would be in areas like providing renewables because Today, I think there's a, there is a massive opportunity with those mines, which are huge power and water uses, to provide things done that are environmentally correct. The future of water in Africa, uh, it has very few major rivers, fewer than, say, North America does. Uh, in fact, it's rather river-deprived. It has some very big ones, like the Zambezi and the Congo, but not that many. Um, the Limpopo runs sometimes. Um, many rivers, the Sabi runs sometimes. These are not reliable rivers. What do we do about the water supply for drinking water, fresh water, health, before we get to farming? Well, you know, 
what Africa is facing is, is what many other countries are facing. And, and the, the challenge is going to be to go back to your old standard stuff. You got to use water efficiently. You've got to uh, capture water where you can so it can continue to be reused. You got to think about heavy rains and how to protect homes and businesses and roadways and other infrastructure. But, but the, you know, these are all boring ideas, but they are the staple of how you manage water. You've got to keep it local and you've got to protect yourself from too much water. And then you've got to be really smart about capturing yeah. when there is more water to actually keep it where it is so you can utilize it effectively. You basically have to have respect for water. You, yeah. It'll go where it wants to go. You need to beat it there, right? <laughs> You need to understand where, where, how often it rains and where it rains and how do you actually deal with it. California is still struggling with this. Now their latest thing is, oh yeah, it rains a ton. Maybe we should save that. Okay, really crazy good idea, idea, right? Yeah. And part of it is looking at agriculture. You know, that they're large water users, and with different practices, that doesn't need to be the case. So there's, there's real opportunity to rethink this, but if you don't have food and you don't have water, you don't have anything, right? Craig, we've talked a lot here about renewables. Are there any countries in Africa that you see that could become bases for manufacturing renewable uh, turbines, renewable solar cells, uh, or are they going to have to depend for a very long time on importing from the U.S. and particularly from China. I, I, I think longer term it will happen. We'll see pockets in the, some of the larger companies. Realistically, we're dependent today on mm -hmm. China. I mean, our batteries come from China. Um, so, and although there's there are things under Belgian abroad which mm -hmm. hopefully build capacity, I don't see it happening short term. What I do see happening with using renewables is there are raw materials in Africa where things like steel could be produced in Africa, aluminum could be produced in Africa. A lot of the raw materials, if you brought renewables, and it gets into things like hydrogen as well, you could have industry more localized in Africa. But in terms of batteries, I mean, other, other than lithium and cobalt, I, I don't see building that's, the pricing will be just very hard for the short term. Besides ecotourism, what are the other quick impacts that investment can have. Tourism has a very swift impact. Unskilled people get work, acquire marketable skills, money flows in, and knowledge flows in, and knowledge flows out too. So until you've overdone it, it works rather well. I, I think, again, the agriculture space or agroforestry space is a huge opportunity. Um, because there are multiple, there are health benefits, there are education benefits. And first thing is that Gina talked about food, feeding yourself. We cannot have a system where African countries import 80% of their food. And so I think investing in agriculture, first to feed local people, but then let them export. Um, I think, and working with companies, and that's where again, consumers and multinationals, I think agriculture is a real win. win. Um, renewables affect lifestyle. They don't. They tend not to create a lot of jobs directly in installing, but they can, as Gina said, um, change lives dramatically. What about the forests? What about the 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 timber industry of Africa? Uh, we think 
or we tend to immediately think of the Amazon, but what about Central Africa, where there are huge forests? The, the, the Congo yes, Basin, it. obviously, and there, and there are lots of initiatives. Um, I think done carefully, correctly, and Gabon's been a leader in this, and some environmentalists... I've heard that, actually, and that... No, they've, they've done, and there's a number of centers, and, they're, and they are leading the way in, in sustain, truly sustainably. I mean, there have been some things other people have done around the world where I'd say it's branded sustainable, I question it. In Gabon, they are really trying to increase their forests by forestry practices and selling timber. Um, so, and Gabon is one of the few net positive carbon countries in the world. Um, so I, I think there are models, and and in Central Africa, I think does have that potential. Um, so I, I I think there's real promise there. To this point in time, big electric projects have been favored in Africa. Um, several dams on the Zambezi, the Kariba Dam, for example, and and uh, there are two others, and now they're building one on the Kafui River. Uh, but that's over, isn't it? One, we don't know about the water supply. We can't rely on the rainfall anymore. Uh, how do you persuade local people to change from that to windmills and to solar? And as you've said, I mean, Africa's got an awful lot of sunshine in almost every country. In I fact, in every country. In every country. I think, first of all, it will be pricing because if you don't have the dams in your country, you're relying on getting it from someplace else. And I think it's persuading people that it's not reliable. Um, so I, I, I think people are ready to change. And businesses, businesses love having solar on the roofs or mini grids outside them. What do we need to do to educate people quickly on the importance of saving the climate? Um, how do we start this process of education, of explaining, and how much example can we set? Can I just say that I, when I when I talk to people, I generally don't talk about climate. <laughs> I think people now understand that the climate has changed, and I think they're afraid. You need to give people answers, and and it really isn't about the climate. The planet doesn't give a damn if we over pollute it. People do. So it's all about, not about how you address climate. It's about how do you take action on climate in a way that's going to significantly impact the lives of human beings in a way they can see it and feel it and taste it. That's what Craig's talking about. You know, when Pegasus comes in and does work, for example, in Galapagos, you know, they don't just sit there and say, I've got an answer. You know, they invest in the communities before they invest in the technology, because that's how it has to work. And people need to know it's going to make their lives healthier. People need to know they'll have more food on the table. If those are the answers you have for climate, they are exactly the answers people are desperate for. Craig Kogos, Gina McCarthy, thank you for joining me on White House Chronicle. That's our show for today, and do remember, the climate belongs to the whole world. Cheers.